Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Democrats formally nominated Joe Biden as their 2020 presidential nominee. Last night, party officials and activists from across the country gave the former vice president their uh, their overwhelming support during uh, his party's all-virtual national convention. Uh, the Postmaster General, uh, Louis DeJoy, said in a statement that he is going to halt postal service operational changes Uh, and the other cost-cutting measures that they were implementing until after the November 3rd election in order to, quote, avoid even the appearance of any impact on election mail. Uh, Now, that's not going to stop the conversation about mail-in ballots and the security of them, but uh, the Postmaster General is doing his part to alleviate concerns there. Let's turn our attention to the great state of Iowa and our neighbors there. Uh, We are just now uh, a week and a couple of days after the devastating windstorm known as a derecho. I'll just admit to you, I'd never heard that word before. Um, So I'm pretty sure that in my lifetime, this is the first time we have experienced such a devastating straight-lined wind. Uh, Iowa is now facing what uh, PBS and others are openly describing as a humanitarian crisis. But it's taken a week for the nation to kind of wake up to the realities on the ground in Iowa. The president did visit Iowa yesterday. He has begun approving the parts of the uh, aid package requested by the governor. Let me just say that as a person with um, some experience of uh, of hurricane relief over the years, including Uh, direct experience with uh, Hurricane Katrina in the very early days of the aftermath of that storm, Um, federal aid comes in waves. It does not all come uh, immediately at the very beginning. And so uh, I am going to assume and uh, and acknowledge um, what others are saying, uh, and that is that the aid approved by the president, this $45 million approved on Monday by the president of the United States, while obviously short of the $3. billion in federal aid requested um, by the governor of Iowa, this is you should just think of this as the first wave of federal aid. So on August the 10th, for those of you who are not aware, a straight-line windstorm with speeds of up to 110 miles per hour ripped through the state of Iowa. Some 10 million acres of grain crops now lie on the ground. Uh, trees, obviously, uh, are damaged Homes, businesses, churches, uh, half of uh, half a million Iowans without power, on and on and on. Um, and so uh, we're going to talk next with Tracy Berta. Tracy is an Iowa derecho storm survivor in the midst of the storm recovery there. And she's going to tell us just what, what's it like to be a real person experiencing all of this on the ground. 
my conversation with Stacy Berta up next. Joining me now, Tracy Berta. Uh, Tracy is an Iowan. She is a derecho survivor. She is now involved in recovery efforts there. Tracy, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, Carmen. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, that's kind of the biggest thing right now because I'm so glad that the president was here yesterday. But for the first week, we really did feel forgotten. Um, just, and I think, too, part of the problem has been communication, because if you could imagine, you know, every single person's cell phone service. So when you're thinking, you know, 200,000 people, no one had cell service, no one had internet, you know, so just even getting the word out. And um, so anyway, so thank you so much for having us on, for having me on, because, um, you know, just to be able to share our story with your listeners. Absolutely. And Tracy, you know, let me let me start by saying um, we started praying publicly for um, you. I mean, unbeknownst of your personal name and situation, but we started praying for you and your neighbors immediately. And I think that part of the challenge of um, of feeling like we are like nobody's paying attention is exactly the point that you're making. Communi- we rely on communication um, today that's uh, that's based on towers that that fall over. And yes. um so so I'm glad that some of that is being uh is being rectified. We're we're very appreciative of the ability to talk with you today and we recognize the technology upon which both of us depend in order to do that. Here's what I'd love for you to start with, Tracy. What does it look like where you live and what is it supposed to look like? <laughs> well, um especially our area, we had a beautiful canopy of trees. So you had um, so many 50-year-old trees, 100-year-old, you know, big oaks. I mean, trees everywhere. And I would say probably the strangest thing, it looks like a giant came through, just pulled up trees and dropped them. And so when you drive the neighborhoods, there are trees. In fact, my husband and I were out last night delivering water and you know, trying to take pictures, it's the strangest things. There, there was a tree that looked like it was growing out of a truck because of the way that it had fallen the truck. But there's trees on homes, there's trees, you know, still lining streets. Um, power lines are still down in many places, so you still have to either drive under power lines or over power lines, um, and you know, it's so strange because it's not just you know, it's tornado country here. So, you know, we're used to um, tornadoes and, you know, strong winds, things like that coming through. But when that happens, it's usually just one area, you know, a tornado will come here and, and go back up. But it was 40 minutes of this hurricane strength winds everywhere. And um, so, it's every neighborhood, it's every area where you go. And so 
we have so many people working around the clock so hard and we're so thankful that the National Guard has been here. But um, just to kind of tell you what it was like last Monday when it happened, um, I had been in an old house that was converted to a coffee shop. Amazing, just neat place that, you know, now is it's condemned. That during the storm, the, the roof blew off, the, all the bricks fell off of the building. And when we came out just to look around, there was broken glass everywhere. There was pieces of roof, siding, insulation, um, just everywhere. People's windows had blown out of their cars. So the glass and the debris was everywhere. But the trees, it, it was just, it's just unbelievable because trees are uprooted. Like I said, it looks like you know, if when you're just pulling weeds and you pull the weed out and see the, that's how the trees are lying on their sides everywhere, and um, and so like I said, power lines everywhere because the trees knocked the power lines. So, um, and then like I said, still you know on people's roofs, you know in their yards, on their cars. So driving around, you'll you will see people with cracked windshields. I don't know how they're driving, but you know, they're, they're driving their right. cars with, you know, the windshields cracked. So, um, it, it was like a disaster movie, you know, when you see things like on, on TV and it, it was like, am I, am I walking around in a third world country or, you know, a, a war zone or, you know, or a Hollywood set because it just, you know, it, it, it's unreal to actually yeah. see it. So when so folks who are trying to, you know, they're trying to visualize um, what what's what you experienced. They're trying to, you know, part of empathy is helping people, you know, go where you went. So were you in a storm shelter? Did you was there enough warning that, you know, like her like I think about, you know, I would hear a tornado siren. I would know I'm going to go to this, you know, the safest place, at least in the internal part of my house. But my guess is you guys actually have storm shelters. Um, where did you go during this 40 minutes? Okay. So um, again, you know, here in Iowa, you will hear, you know, the sirens go off and it, you know, either for a tornado or, or um, thunderstorm, severe, you know, severe thunderstorm. Occasionally you'll get a warning on your phone, that kind of thing. So that morning it started out beautiful. It was, the sun was shining. It was so nice. And I was in this little coffee shop, which, like I said, is an old home. I was um, tutoring an, an elderly Asian man. And um, the, the sirens went off. And to look outside, it was dark. It had gotten dark. But there was no wind. There was no rain. So I called my husband. And I said, Brian, look at the uh, radar. Let me see. Or, you know, tell me if I have time to go home because um, it's about a five-minute drive, or should we stay here and go down to the basement? So the storm shelter that you're talking about, usually is people are going down to their basements. Most people here have a basement, um, unless you're in an apartment or a trailer or things like that. And to see those places, it's incredible. Um, but he said, Tracy, I think you have plenty of time. So um, I asked, um, Kuhn is his name, the, the gentleman that I was with, I said, "June, do you want to drive home? He had about a 10 minute drive. I said, do you want to drive, drive home or stay here? He said, 
let's just try to make it home. So we got in our cars. I had gone maybe 10 feet and the wind and the rain started immediately. Um, it was, it was crazy. It just torrential downpour. I, I couldn't see. So, um, and then recycling bins and garbage cans started flying over the car. We have an SUV. Mm-hmm. And so I like, okay, I need to turn around, turned around. He was still sitting in his car. And so I got him out. I said, Q, we need to go back inside and back into the basement. So um, there were uh, like four other customers still there and they had already gone down into the basement. Of course, by this time, there's no power. The power went out instantly. So, you know, everyone had their phones out, you know, for flashlights, things like that. And then when we were down there, we heard the, the roof blow off. And I guess probably the thing that, that most people can describe for the derecho, because I had never heard of one either before last week, the sound was terrible. It was, you know, and you hear about a tornado and having that train sound. And so we all thought, oh gosh, there is a tornado going through. And we began praying immediately because I really, the thought that went through my mind was my kids, I have five kids. And I thought they're going to find out that I died down here. And I don't want them to think, you know, that I didn't want them to um, think about that. So anyway, um, we tried to call 911 after it was over because it was about 40 minutes of this, the sound and you could, you could hear the trees going down. This coffee shop is across the street from a city park and you could just hear the trees. And um, so when we, 911 couldn't come because they were so overwhelmed. They said, sorry, you know, we can't go with you. And one of the other customers was a construction worker. And so he said, I'm going to go upstairs to make sure that it's safe that we come up. And so when we could, we came out and just could not believe our eyes of the devastation all around us. And um, so the man that I was with, his windows had blown out of his car. And, um, you know, so he was said, Tracy, you saved my life, you know, because I don't Mm. think he would have gotten out of the car. um, Right. People were paralyzed. Hey, Tracy, you and I have to take a very, we have to take a very, very brief break. When we come back, I'm going to continue my conversation with Tracy Berta. She is on the ground uh, in Iowa, and we're going to talk next about how you can help. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Talking with Tracy Berta, whose experience of the derecho um, is sobering to say the least um and want to thank tracy for sharing her testimony here today um i want to direct those of you who are listening uh who want to who want to at least survey the needs and um, begin to imagine how you and your church might intervene to help on facebook there is a, a public group called iowa derecho storm resource page i know that's long but if you just start typing Iowa Derecho, Derecho is D-E-R-E-C-H-O, Iowa Derecho Storm Resource Page, you are going to discover some 56,000 people who are very, very actively posting, 2,500 of them just in the last few hours, um, needs that they are experiencing, um, things that are going on, questions that they're asking. Hey, my power's still out. Is your power still out? 
uh, hey, I need a, a, you know, I need somebody not just with a chainsaw, but with a crane truck. Anybody know where we can find one? Um, you know, we need a place to sleep tonight. Uh, and, and then really, really wonderful, positive, good news stories. Um, there's a picture of uh, Willie. Willie doesn't look very old. Uh, he and this uh, Allison has posted here. This dude showed up yesterday and helped out because he was bored. He didn't have anything to do. Uh, and so he walked to my house and started uh, started helping. Uh, and so uh, these stories are um, largely from Cedar Rapids um, and the surrounding communities. I And on Facebook, what you're looking for is Iowa Derecho Storm Resource Page. Um, Tracy, how are people helping? What kind of help is needed first and most urgently? Um, and, um, you know, and then and then I have a question about animals. So there you go. OK, well, I'm so glad that you mentioned that page that was on my list to mention, because um, once people get onto the page, you can start seeing pictures and a picture speaks a thousand words. And there it is. This was just an individual. And that's the thing that I want to say. You know, this whole time it has been neighbors helping neighbors. And when we didn't have power, when you didn't have cell services, it was just walking around the neighborhood. Are you okay? You know, that kind of thing. And it is just awesome to see, you know, how God, it just, all the God stories, it has just been amazing. And so um, that, that is your first place because they do have um, an, um, a Venmo and a PayPal address. And the Venmo is just at Iowa uh, Derecho, and it's, you know, just how it sounds, I-O-W-A-D-E-R-E-C-H-O, or PayPal at info at Derecho2020.com. They are on the ground, and it is just a group of people who started this. You know, Raymond was, was the man, and it really has become the hub of where can I take meals you know, who needs what. And um, because the first and foremost thing has been feeding people, because if you can imagine being without power for 10 days, so living out of a cooler or some people have a grill, but it's, um, you know, so just those kinds of things. Or if you would like um, eight days of hope, they're at my church. And so you could help in that way. I know Samaritan's Purse is here in town somewhere. I'm not sure, but I've heard that. But um, also Mercy Chefs, they have been amazing. Um, Mercy Chefs, they came in and they have just been feeding hundreds and hundreds of people every day. And so Molly with Mercy Chefs just, you know, text, hey, I need 70 meals delivered to this senior living. Because if you can imagine it is mom, single moms living in their cars. It is, you know, senior living apartments. So it's low income senior living apartments. It's, um, we had, uh, we have a refugee population. So I'm so glad how God has worked all of that out. But these people were in their apartments when the roof blew off and they had been living in the parking lot in tents. Um, So that page is a great resource page because you will see, you know, individual needs and people post their Venmo and their PayPal and you can um, help that way. But honestly, Carmen, we could really use bodies 
you know, people to come and help because yeah, and let me, the- let me, let me say that as a person with some experience um, of doing that, do not show up without a way to take care of yourself. So yes. great way to yes. go and help is in your own camper, fully stocked um, and yes. prepared to prepared to live without external power um, for some period of time. Um, Tracy, we're going to um, you and I have to leave our conversation right here today. Um, I absolutely want to direct people to this page on Facebook. Great place to connect. Iowa Derecho Storm resource page. You've also heard about Mercy Chefs. Samaritan's Purse is on the ground. You can Venmo at Iowa Derecho. Um, all kinds of ways to serve. If you are able, put your chainsaw in the truck and head to Iowa. That is uh, actually debris removal is probably top of list for a long period of time. Pack as much Clorox as you can. Take your muck boots. Everything that you would take if you were helping um, in a hurricane recovery, those are the same things that the people in Iowa need now. Um, And so let's be thinking in terms of um, hurricane recovery, not tornado recovery, because the devastation is so widespread. Um, All right, Tracy, we're going to have to leave it right there. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayers are with you, um, and we'll talk with you again. Thank you so much, Carmen. Thank you so much, Tracy. That's Tracy Berta on the ground in Iowa. We'll be right back. All right, so 100 years ago yesterday, the final vote was cast to include the 19th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. So yesterday is the centennial of suffrage is a way of uh, thinking about that. And so we're going to talk with Dr. Hunter Baker from Union University about voting rights um, and American views on equality, what that word means, how it has morphed uh, a century after Women in the United States, okay, specifically then we must say white women, gained the right to vote. That conversation up next here on Mornings with Carmen. I often run into parents who are anxious about their teen's dating life. Do you ever worry about their choices? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Perhaps your child is in middle school and you're thinking about what's over the horizon. Or maybe you're struggling with the decisions your 17-year-old is making with her boyfriend. Consider these quick guidelines that may help you navigate the process. First, get on the same page with your spouse as to the dating rules for your kids. Second, talk openly with your teen about those rules and what you expect. Finally, consider loosening your grip in appropriate ways as your child gets older. As you learn to balance trust with boundaries, Hopefully your son and daughter will make wise choices in the friendships they pursue. Want more parenting help from Mark Gregston? Find encouragement through articles, books, and more at parentingtodaysteens.org. Dr. Hunter Baker from Union University, apparently your walk-up music is the uh, mutually agreed-upon uh, 2020 campaign song. No? It's fitting. Where it's people fitting. are just, like, screaming the in the background? Yeah. It's fitting for the entire year. <laughs> yeah. Paul said it's, like, the official music of both campaigns, and I'm like, what? They've agreed on something? No, just the overall election like, season. Just, just the overall yeah, election no. season, Carmen. 
Yeah. I was completely thrown off there for a moment. Um, Hunter, let's talk about yesterday as a, a centennial, um, the 100th anniversary of the formal passage of the 19th Amendment. Is, am I phrasing that correctly? Uh, sure. Yes. Uh, yeah. The um, the 19th Amendment, amazing piece of American history. Um, you know, in particular, the thing that that strikes me this is this is maybe a provocative way to begin, but but if we think about the 19th Amendment, where American women got the vote, right? Um, the question you might ask yourself is, what is the big thing that happened after? women got the vote. And? What is it? Do you know? No. Uh, it was the, it was the, uh, the abolition of alcohol. Oh, well, there you go. Now, so, so why? Why do you think women did that? Well, the fact is, is that around that time, early 20th century, drinking was a major, major problem. Uh, in the United States and in some other places, and you can imagine the mistreatment uh, that women suffered at the hands of drunk men, uh, in addition to the fact that women were uh, almost always dependent upon men at that time for their economic well-being. And if you had a husband who was a drunk, uh, you can imagine what that did to your life as well. Uh, and so the first thing that women did, really, when they were empowered to vote, was to uh, ban alcohol. I, I well, there you go. Using the using the, I was gonna, you know, see, I was my answer was going to be the Roaring Twenties, and I didn't think that was right. Flapper dresses was going to be my answer to the question, and that didn't seem. Is it, so well, that, I'm so I'm that, so glad to know there's such a better answer to the question. Um, so yeah. uh, abolition and then speakeasies would be the uh, would be the outcome of the effort to abolish alcohol. You know, freedom does find a way. This is part of the yes. right part of the yes. abolitionist challenge is that freedom finds a way. Um, people who have a proclivity to particular behaviors are not likely uh, to see those curbed, particularly if it's something they're already addicted to. That's right. You know, something else that's really interesting about it is uh, I teach American political thought as one of the courses that I do, and we spend time on uh, Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton, uh, who were two okay, of the why most did, famous. Why did, Susan, why did Susan B. Anthony need to be hardened and why did it take so long? Why is President Trump in, in the year 2020 pardoning Susan B. Anthony? What is she being pardoned of? And why hasn't it happened before now? Well, it's probably because uh, she insisted on voting when she uh, did not have the legal right to do so. Okay. Uh, so she was fined, refused to pay a fine and was, uh, I guess, at some point, maybe even briefly imprisoned. Uh, because of her insistence on voting <laughs> when I she like wasn't that. allowed to vote. <laughs> you know, yeah, so I, I like, right? Like, I, I, I like that. I like that. All right. Yeah. So I'm yeah. um, sorry, I interrupted you. You were talking about a class that you teach. Well, so in this class, we study uh, some of the things that she wrote, uh, she and Elizabeth Cady Stanton. And the interesting thing is, uh, you know, so we think about, uh, today's feminists and the 
um, the the values that they have uh, tend to be highly highly progressive. Um, but it's interesting if you look back to uh, to those women, some of the early uh, suffragettes. What you'll find is that they actually sound like today's Christian conservatives uh, in important ways, because one of their major concerns is is that there's this world of vice, you know, often this sort of this tacitly uh, approved of world of vice among men that includes prostitution and drinking and gambling, and they are angry that this sort of world of vice uh, takes in their sons, right, and ruins their lives and prospects and entices them to immorality. And that's another concern that they had, is that when women have the right to vote, uh, that kind of stuff will be better. Uh, Another thing is, if you go to a place like France, I think that France is one of the last places that women gained the right to vote. And in part, that's because they were afraid that women were too religious, uh, and they didn't want women uh, putting their religion into their voting habits. So apparently, the very last vote cast um, in you know in this effort to include the Nineteenth Amendment in uh, in the Constitution um, was cast by uh, an individual in Tennessee who was planning <laughs> to vote against it. Do you know this story? He was well, planning I've to go. Heard, he was I've, planning I've to vote against it until he got a note from his mother, until he got a vote from his mother, telling him, you know, that he needed to vote for this. Yeah, I like. I, the, I, I like the story. I mean, Whether or not it holds up to, to historical scrutiny, I don't know, but I like the story. Yeah, one of the one of the versions that I heard was that that the note said, "If you don't if you don't vote for this, don't come back. <laughs> don't, don't don't come back home." Yeah. So, you know, I think I mean, we can we can laugh about it now. This was um, it's not only serious business at the time. Um, This is still a serious conversation today. Not everyone. I mean, we we imagine that everyone has uh, the right to vote and everyone can vote. But there's still a limited number of people who have the right to vote or there are those who lose their right to vote um, or whose right to vote is uh, suspended for a period of time. Um, Talk with us about voting rights today. Um, and sort of who, who would be, who would the people be today who consider themselves outside of, uh, having the opportunity to vote who think, who imagine that they should have, I don't know. So not a very well-framed question. Well, that's okay. I mean, I think of it when you ask that question, I think of it sort of domestically and internationally, Mm. domestically, uh, the, the people who, don't have the right to vote uh, in the U.S. are people who are under 18. Um, uh, it, it want, that used to be 21 in a lot of places. Um, and uh, now maybe I'm thinking about drinking. The other one, much more controversial, is uh, people who have, uh, who have committed a felony. Um, mm-hmm. People who have committed a felony – in many, many jurisdictions, there are places that are working to uh, to change that, lose their vote. And that's um, that's actually pretty well founded in political theory. Uh, I'm not saying this that is what we should do, but uh, but if you think about sort of the social contract theorists, 
the idea is is that you have all your rights as long as you're respecting the social contract, right? But when you commit a serious crime, you're announcing that you don't care about the social contract. You're basically announcing, I want to live by the law of the jungle, not by the law of human beings, right? And, uh, and you lose your, you lose some portion of your rights or all of your rights in those, in those situations. And that's what we have in the U.S. is that lots and lots of people, because we imprison so many people, uh, lots and lots of people have lost their right to vote. All right. So originally, the only people who could vote were white male landowners, obviously, um, over the period of time. Um, that has changed. And we hear conversations today about uh, questions related to age. There are those who would like to lower the a- lower the voting age. There are those who would like to see people who live here but who are not citizens have uh, have the opportunity to vote. And there are those um, actively working uh, to see those uh, who have, in my view, served their time, um, but convicted felons who um, who have. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm one of those people that believes in redemption. So um, anyway, that's yeah. a conversation as well. OK, hey, Hunter, you and I got to take a brave, very brief break. When we come back, do you want to talk about the challenge of Marxism or do you want to talk about all politics ultimately local? Well, can I say, when we come back, can I say a couple <laughs> of things about your voting points? Yes, voting okay. points when Good. we come back right. and then some other topic with Dr. Hunter Baker. We'll be right back. You're my defender. All right, 100 years ago, uh, women, white women in particular, uh, achieved the or gained the right to vote here in the United States of America, continuing that conversation with Dr. Hunter Baker from Union University. What what would you like to say in addition on these points? Uh, well, OK, so uh, a few things. First of all, with regard to voting age, uh, there is a push to lower that to 16 um, I personally think that would be a bad idea. Uh, and the, the, I have the reason I sixteen-year-olds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, mm-hmm. I live with one. Yeah, yeah. That's that is still a that is still an identity being shaped and formed for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, that's also. By the way, that's that's also why I would not be in favor of anybody transitioning their gender uh, when they're young like that. Uh, that, that seems to me like a really bad idea, but let's leave that aside and stay on this voting question. Um, I think that, uh, that as a consequence of, of technology and sort of the, the lengthening of adolescence, that human beings today, uh, at 16 are substantially less mature than they would have been say 20 years ago or more. Uh, in a recent meeting, uh, a faculty member was talking about dealing with students, and she said something that struck me as fairly true, which is that in many ways, when she looks at today's 19-year-old, she sees yesterday's 15-year-old. Uh, and I, th- I think that there is something to that. I mean, if, if you were to look just at driving, you would find that there are far more 16-year-olds today who don't drive uh, versus when you and I were kids, uh, when the absolute first thing you did when you were 16 was to go and, and, and obtain the ability to drive. Uh, so I think that maturity, maturity has changed and uh, it would be a really bad idea to push that voting age down. 
So that's the big thing I wanted to say. And the other thing is on the question of incarceration uh, and uh, felony felonies uh, that people have committed, we have to acknowledge that a lot of those felony convictions stem from drug offenses, uh, which of course can be very serious and can lead to other crimes. But that can also result in lots of people uh, losing that critical human right to vote. Uh, and my suspicion is, is that losing your right to vote uh, on a permanent basis uh, further alienates you from the community in which you live. Uh, and that, that really an important part of restoring somebody would be to have a pathway to kind of get out from under that felony offender status. Uh, and I think that that would include gaining the right to vote. I had a conversation once with two guys outside of uh, 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 the Union Mission in Washington, D.C. This is prior to the uh, last election cycle. Um, I did not know in sitting down having coffee with them that uh, they were both formerly incarcerated felons. Um, we were talking about they were reading. They were actually they were discussing when I sat down. Uh, the candidacy of Hillary Clinton. And um, so uh, we continued in that conversation and I asked them their thoughts on it and I asked them how they were going to vote. And that uh, there's this this overwhelming silence. Mm. And I said, you know, guys, I'm I'm so sorry. You know, I've obviously said I've obviously either asked something too personal to answer or then one guy chuckled and he goes, no, I mean, we both been on the inside. And so we're not you know, we don't get to vote. And I, I, I looked at him. And I said, you know, I'm just I'm just so sorry. And he said, here's here's the thing. Um, the world changed a lot when I was on the inside. But the but the world gives me no credit for all the ways I changed. And that I'll tell you, Hunter, was sort of the moment in time when I recognized that we continue to penalize people even after they have, you know, paid their quote unquote debt to society through our criminal justice system. Um, and, you know, there's no reason that that guy living, you know, in Washington, D.C. should have been prevented, in my view, from being able to vote. Um, you know, he has done his time. He has you know, paid his debt to society. Um, and a restoration of his voting rights does not in any way diminish my uh, my vote. Like, right. I feel like people should should have that right. So anyway, I uh, I think that's a robust conversation um, that we should be having as a country today. Yeah, C.S. Lewis has a great essay um, called On the Humanitarian Theory of Punishment. Um, and one of the things, and he's really criticizing some of the uh, penal theories of the time, but one of the things that he objects to is the idea of sort of a, a punishment that can kind of go on forever. And, you know, that's the case with, with the right to vote. Uh, that it seems like that once you have fulfilled your sentence, uh, we should restore you into the community as a citizen um, or or at a minimum have a path to restoration, right? You know, so give people an incentive. One of the big problems we have is recidivism where people commit crimes again. Well, maybe we say something like that, that when you come back in, there's this pathway, you know, say five years or whatever like that. And if you don't have another offense, you know, that things like your right to vote are restored to you. Yeah, totally agree. One hundred percent. All right. We're going to have to leave um, all politics is local. And um, 
the challenge of Marxism today for another conversation. <laughs> They'll still be there. Those were stunningly large topics anyway. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, Dr. Hunter Baker, thank you as always so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. We'll be right back. All right. Um, we'll have to talk about those other topics at another time. What's um, what's on your agenda today? What are you thinking about? What are you concerned about? What's on your uh, prayer agenda? Where in the word are you today? Um, on my heart this morning, uh, the questions of who we are, understanding who we are, that we belong to God, um, that we're his to be used for his glory in the world today. I mean, that is literally what we are in the world to do. So as you face whatever it is that you're facing today, um, face God first, like, right? Seek his face first before you turn to face the world. Um, Because let me just tell you, um, when his eyes are on his child, wow, his grace abounds to us. It's not just a song, it's a reality, right? So um, seek his face Seek first the things of the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and trust me when I tell you, everything else will be added unto you as you need it, because his grace is sufficient in every moment and certainly for this day um, in which we live. All right, we got another hour up next. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.